Good afternoon. You are listening to The Big Tent on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. I am Justin Vaughn. I'm here with my co-hosts, uh, Jen Schneider and Corey Cook. We're all professors at Boise State University's School of Public Service. And we're joined today by Laurie Hausiger, a, a colleague of ours at, at, in the School of Public Service, who is also one of the many hats she wears, includes being director of a program called New Leadership Idaho. We're going to talk a little bit about that today talk a little bit about how it relates to ongoing uh, dynamics in, in, in our our national politics and uh, a lot more. Lori, thanks for coming. Welcome to the Big Tent. Oh, thank you for having me. So New Leadership Idaho, tell us uh, a little bit. What What is that about? Why? How, how does it, how has it evolved? Well, it's part of a nationwide program that originated with the Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers University, and they have spread out and had uh, one of these programs in a state, uh, in as many states as they could, and Idaho was lucky enough to get one, I think partly through the efforts of Gary Moncrief, who had spent some time at the center, and so was good friends with Debbie Walsh, and so they thought of Idaho, so we have one before many states you might expect. So how, how long has it been here? Uh, this is going to be our fifth year, and it's my third year directing. So the first two years were run by uh, Melissa Wintrow and Shelley Poole. Great. And um, what what is it? What is What does this program do? Well, it's, it's really meant to encourage and equip young university-age women uh, to pursue leadership and public service more generally. So we all know the stats about how underrepresented women are in government and all the stories in terms of women being asked, if you could change the way the country is going, what would you do? And twice as many women as men will answer work for a charity rather than run for office. Uh, There's people that do experiments and they put people in a group and they ask somebody to lead. And women, for volunteers, women will step forward as often as men and volunteer to run the group. And when the people then say, okay, now we want to have an election, the women sit down. They never feel like they're qualified enough. And so the, the men, they never have that problem, regardless of their qualifications. They're always willing to step forward. Uh, so the idea is that political socialization and this idea of that not being qualified, not being ready, is something we need to overcome with women. And so they need to have more recruitment. And men generally are recruited and asked to run at a much higher level than women are. And so this program is thought to be the first ask. Women generally need to be asked about three times before they run. And so we catch them when they're young and get that first one out of the way, give them some skill set to actually be able to make use of this and encourage them to keep going in public service and leadership. And you attract a mix of students from throughout Idaho. Exactly. The program is actually for everybody in Idaho, all the all the eight universities and colleges and so we have representation from each of those schools at new it's not it's housed at Boise State I direct it so we are providing some of that funding for it but it is a statewide program and that's its mandate it's also a bipartisan program and that's one of the most attractive things about it all of our panels have a mixture of both Democrats and Republicans on it so we do panels of legislators nonprofit leaders local leaders uh, people that influence the influencers. And then we also have uh, skill sets. So we, we have sessions where we teach them some public speaking uh, and talk about managing their message and other aspects that can help them I- as they move on in a career. 
Uh, and then finally, of course, it's the networking part. So we bring in people, from everyone from the first appellate court judge, Kathy Silak, to various legislators. Um, Christy Perry uh, comes every year. We have uh, Michelle Stennett, you name it. We've been very fortunate in the women around the valley and around Idaho participating. They've been very generous with their time. So five years in, you're probably you have some alums of this program that are now getting not just into their careers, but a few years into their careers. Have you have you started to see kind of the fruits of your labor pay off in, in these women being asked a second and third time and going into this field? I think they're still probably on the second ask because they're still in their 20s, but they have been going in behind the scenes. So we see a lot of them in terms of campaigns and the backgrounds of campaigns. We see them in a lot of nonprofit positions and in various lobbying type uh, spots. And so I think it's just a matter of time before they get that third ask and they're in. (laughs) Sure. Well, I, I get to read some of the reviews of that the, the participants will, will give, and they say that this program is life-changing. Why, why is that? What, what, what is it that's you so unique about new? You know, I'm, I'm always surprised at just how amazing it is. I, I was involved right from the start as a moderator of the panels, but once I started directing and went into that 80-hour week, because it really is 8.30 a.m. to after dinner, I mean, it's just immersion. We eat, sleep, talk politics and leadership. They meet just an amazing number of women, and we put them in small groups with these women. And so I think it's it's a combination of just finally getting told, you can do this, you go for it. This is something that, look at look at my path. This is something that you could also do, as well as giving some skills and, and giving some confidence. So we do a survey of them, and at the start, you ask them, how many of you are, are thinking you might run for office one day? And the, it's kind of flat. There's, there's not many on the left-hand side, and the, the ones that say yes, it's, it goes up a smidge. But by the end of new, you ask that same question, and it is a driving line up with a good chunk of them saying, yep, that's something I now think I could possibly do. Those people did it. I can do it, too. And they also, I think get a really positive sense of politics because we have these bipartisan panels and they see how people can get along and have conversations and solve problems by talking through things. It's not as ugly as they think. And I think that's helpful too. Giving anybody a positive sense of politics <laughs> is a huge accomplishment nowadays. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, am I right in understanding they also do s- some role play or something like that at the Capitol? Or? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we have them do is a week-long project um, where we take um, an issue that has either not passed or has passed the legislature, and we have them work on it through the week. They, we divide them into four groups. There's a pro group, a con group, a committee group that's going to hear this, and a media group. And the goal is by the end of the week, they're presenting before this committee, and the committee is asking them questions. It's a mock committee hearing, and the committee asks these people questions. We debate the topic out, and at the end, the committee votes to see whether this bill is going to get out of that committee. It's very fun. They do an amazing job. I can't believe how much they can put together in a week. Yeah, that's remarkable. And then you mentioned that they also get some skills building. And so is that through sort of workshops or panels they're going to maybe give give us an example of that? Yeah, we bring in people like Red Sky to talk about how to manage their message and how to how to network and communicate and what's your two minute spiel? What's your 30 second spiel? If you meet someone, how do you actually um, show your strengths? highlight them in a very quick manner. So it's those kinds of things. So we bring in people to actually work with them, and they do break into smaller groups as well. 
There's also a diversity aspect of it to try to just expose them to as many different people as possible and to all the different issues that this state faces. What are you doing new this year, That uh, new and new, I guess, this year? <laughs> How are you evolving? One of the things where we've added um, this year is something called difficult conversations. So we, and that has a, I think has a two-edged thing. One of them, this, these people are going to be going out into the workplace and they're going to have to deal with some pretty tricky situations, right? And so there's going to be a skill set for that. But we also are trying to add, we added a, a civility component as well to just how do we have these discussions on hot button items without losing our minds, where we actually can hear each other and reach some kinds of solutions to tricky things. That's great. That's fascinating and obviously very valuable work. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back in a little bit. We'll talk more about why uh, programs such as, as this one are important in this kind of contemporary moment that uh, we all find ourselves in. So uh, stay with us, and we'll be right back. You're listening to KRBX 89.9 FM Caldwell, Boise, community radio for Boise and beyond. We are back. You're listening to The Big Tent. I'm Justin Vaughn. I'm here with Jen Schneider and Corey Cook, uh, the, my co-hosts on this program. We're also joined by Lori Hausiger, who is the director of New Leadership Idaho and a professor at Boise State. Uh, Lori, one of the things we've been talking about um, is uh, this idea of, of how, how much have ch- things have changed this election cycle with respect to the role of women in elections, uh, the, the, the way that they've been out in uh, and, you know, as activists, the, the, the sheer number of, of female candidates that we have, uh, CNN wrote an article, and there have been countless others saying that this year is the year of the woman. Um, when, you pe- when you see headlines like that, you know, what, what's driving that? And, and, and you know, what, what, uh, what should, should we expect to see happen the rest of the year? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, and of course, our colleague Jackie Kettler is an expert on women in politics, so she would do a much better job answering this. But uh, I think one of the things that we're seeing, there is this great energy, but I think the candidates still are lopsided. So we still see far more women running Democratic than we see Republicans. And I think one of the big issues we talk about is recruitment. And I think the one side that needs to do a heck of a lot more recruitment is on the Republican side. If the Democrats do very well in this election, then I think we will see a rise in women in office. If they don't, I'm not sure how much change we'll see. So I think that it's still a lopsided. I feel like that um, has suggested a broader narrative, maybe in mainstream media in particular, that a lot of this is driven sort of as a by a reaction against Trump. Um, but what the way you just said it made me think, oh, maybe that it's going to be more incidental that it's women Democrats who are running. What, what do you think about that? Is this a sort of an anti-Trump wave coming? Well, I think certainly we saw after the election, we saw a lot of energy, right? A lot of people getting involved in politics. And um, Jackie tells me that the candidates are much more diverse than we've seen before. So we could see some real interesting people taking office. But if the Democrats don't do well, I'm also not sure how much of a change we'll see. Obviously, we're still in primary season, but the last uh, round of primaries, Democratic women did especially well in the primary elections, but most of those were safe seats where they're running as Republican and are expected to lose. So on the one hand, it's a gain, right? Mm -hmm. More women seeking office, but in terms of competitive districts, it's still not remotely approaching parity. Right. Yeah. And so we see that we see that happening here in Idaho right now. We have a female uh, gubernatorial candidate uh, that... um, uh, has really taken off within the Democratic Party. Um, you see 
them announced recently to, uh, uh, that uh, uh, she would be running as a um, as a ticket with the lieutenant governor, which we don't have tickets in Idaho, but uh, is more of kind of a reciprocal endorsement idea. But um, kind of further building on the um, excitement that uh, that there is, uh, and at least one one of the parties um, uh, for uh, greater uh, women involvement in politics. Um, do you, what do you you know? So if we don't see Democrats who have recruited more female candidates this time around do well in November, what do you what do you expect to happen? Do you think it's just, this still continues to build, uh, or is it um, a blip that then goes back to the types of gender distribution that we've seen over the last you know many decades? Well, I mean that's a good question because if you think about the last year of a woman of the women. Um, whatever the English translation of that is, <laughs> uh, 1992. I, I mean, that was a huge surge, right? And we didn't see a big growth after that. We haven't seen anything change dramatically after that. That was a big jump, but then it kind of levels after that. And so I think that possibly could happen this time as well. I hope not. I think the more we people see women running, the more other women see this, there's then better sense of that's something I can do, right? And so, and certainly... I think one of the things that we have to think about with recruitment is often the issue is that they're just recruiting in the same places, right, in, in law and in business, and, and they're not recruiting in a more diverse field where women are more often. And so I think if we start to see more of that change, then it would have long-term consequences for sure. They're not just going back to their same old networks. I wanted to go back to something you said in the first segment about the young women that you're working with through new leadership and how um, a lot of times women just don't think that they're qualified or they feel like politics are too messy Mm -hmm. or ugly. Um, How much of it, I wonder, is sort of connected to the sense of not wanting to lose? Uh, In other words, I think there. um, it made me wonder if there's something gendered about what it means to to lose an election where we somehow somehow men are more resilient in the face of that and women not so much um, that it feels like a you know some sort of comment on a person's worth or something like that. I wondered what's that, if you had any thoughts about what's at the base of that. No. <laughs> well, uh, just that we can just Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a a really good question. I don't actually have a good answer for it. Um, I mean, we see that across the board, right? We see that on surveys. Men or women are much more likely to put don't know on surveys, right? They really want to feel sure before they do something. Is that because, do they not run because they don't want to lose or because they think there's others that are just better at that kind of a thing that should do it? Right. I think that it's across the board. It's not just in politics, of course, that they don't think they're qualified. I mean, we know the imposter syndrome tends to hit women a lot harder. So I think it goes a little broader than that. And you study representation of women, obviously, in the judicial system. Why, do. why does why does it matter that women are seeking office at higher rates? How, oh, why, yeah. is, why is that important? That's a great question. And, and I think it really matters because they bring diverse things to the table. So in politics, we see that it doesn't matter which party you are. Women tend to hit on issues that are important to women way more than men would, but Republicans and Democrats. Uh, they bring different experiences to the table. They think of, uh, they have different uh, assumptions. And so I think anytime you get better representation, and you get a more complete answer to some very difficult policy questions. And that's in legislators, legislatures, but it's also in courts as well. 
In fact, courts are one of my favorite spots to see the difference recruitment makes. So a lot of the times you have appointments and they select, they accept applications. And women are not applying for judgeships at the same rate as men either. And in Ontario, in Canada, they had an exper- they had an experimental pilot project where they actually had a selection committee that would reach out to people and reached out to more women. And the number of women applying went way up. And when they ran out of money and shut that down, the number of women applying to be judges went way back down again. So that recruitment factor, I think, is just really important mm-hmm. for that gender. We're going to take uh, another break, and we'll be back, uh, continue to talk about this um, uh, interesting, important uh, topic uh, with Lori Hausiger from the School of Public Service at Boise State University. Uh, We're going to run a couple quick messages, and we'll be back in a moment. Hi, we're Fatso Jetson, and you're listening to KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise Community Radio for a There's a period there, people. You stop, you pause. Well, no, I was emphasizing. I was going, I was going Caldwell, Boise, Community Radio for Boise and beyond. We are back. Uh, you are listening to Radio Boise. This is The Big Tent. I'm here with Corey Cook and Jen Schneider. My name is Justin Vaughn, and we have on with us today Lori Hausiger. Uh, Lori, you were telling us during the break a little bit about a novel or series of novels that you've been reading that has a pretty interesting premise. Um, and one of the things we've done recently uh, on this show is kind of talk about what culture people are consuming. And, and, um, and so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about this? And I'm not allowed to talk about the comparative courts because that's too boring, right? <laughs> Damn it. So that's what I've really been reading. Yeah, no, there's a novel that uh, a series of novels that I've been reading. Canada is got an interesting makeup. Twenty percent of the population is foreign born, and multiculturalism is written right into the constitution. Bilingualism and multiculturalism. So. The, it's a very diverse nation. It takes pride in that. In fact, if you ask Canadians in polls, they take a lot of pride in being multicultural. Uh, the, novel I've, the novels I've been reading are by a woman, uh, her last name is Khan, K-H-A-N, um, and she is writing on some of the repercussions of some of that or some of the struggles that can still happen in that situation. And so uh, she's an international rights uh, PhD, uh, and she has been writing mystery novels where... Uh, involving her lead character is a police officer that's in a special unit, community policing in a sense, that handles these kind of tricky things when minority populations are involved. So the police actually send out a special unit to handle these things. And so the crimes are, um, for example, involve, uh, it's how you have a devout Muslim character dealing in a secular world, right? And so it's been very fascinating just to see some of the difficulties of these different communities within Canada when we pride ourselves on being multicultural, all the things that we don't see and some of the ugly underbelly that can still happen. And so as a Canadian, do you only read things about Canada? <laughs> is that like your cultural consumption It's also rule? in the Constitution. So <laughs> exactly. Well, required. there is, in fact, a Canadian content law on both television and the radio. Absolutely, because they're trying to buffet their arts. And so they and because the United States is this giant behemoth beneath the country and our cable channels come from the U.S., so there is this constant worry mm. about what like it too is. Too much to, Baywatch. Exactly. And yet all the good cultural content in the U.S. is produced by Canadians, right? At least all the good comedies are I'm going to say yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You may stay the head of the Canadian Studies Program. We we will allow that. That was the right answer. (laughs) I will just say yes to that without any kind of facts to back that up. 
Um, so yeah, no, the cultural thing is is an issue. But no, I don't just read. Actually, it was American that suggested this novel to me. I'd never even heard of it before. Sure. Sure, uh, well, the other woman I love is Louise Petty, who is also Canadian. And we could talk about Margaret Atwood, too. There oh. is a theme. See, there is a theme. Yeah, Margaret Atwood, man, she came to Boise State a couple years ago. What a fascinating figure she is. And, of course, Handmaid's Tale is uh, getting a lot of play on Netflix right now. Absolutely. Yeah, I had to come to Boise to have dinner with Margaret Atwood. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of uh, books with sort of strong central women figures, I am excited to get out of here today and go back into the book I've been reading. It's not fiction. It's a memoir, and it's by uh, Tara Westover, who uh, grew up, I think, in eastern Idaho, a fundamentalist LDS family, and uh, it's a... I'm going to sound the book like is a called commercial. Educated. It's called Educated, Educated yeah. but it is a gripping, gripping memoir. Like it is so well written and incredible. The sort of life stories, um, life experiences this woman has had sort of growing up on her family's farm, and in particular, the thing that strikes me as I'm reading Educated is um, the sort of uh, physical threats or physical harms that she and her family uh, undergo as a result of trying to make a living off of the land and working for her father, who's a, a metal scrapper, um, often using big heavy equipment with no none of the safety rails because that slows them down. Um, in any way, she uh, ends up teaching herself things like trigonometry from a textbook that she goes and purchases and gets into, into college. And so that's where I'm at in the book. But... Um, Oh, it's such a good, good story. So highly recommend. If you haven't read Educated yet, give it a give it a read. The one I've been reading is kind of linked to that. It's a little bit older. It came out four or five years ago, maybe six years ago. It's a, a collection of short stories by Sean Vestal, who is a columnist for the Spokesman um, Review, but also grew up here, grew up uh, LDS. And so the, the title of the book is Godforsaken Idaho. Um, got a lot of attention here and, and nationally. Um, but so it's this collection of of mostly unlinked stories, um, but that are all generally set in this part of the, of the state um, that you can really kind of identify with uh, in terms of the, the setting, the, sto- the, the stories. There's some he's he's um, he's very funny, but there's also a real real kind of almost gothic kind of dimension to it that you could kind of a male, m- more contemporary, you know, Mormon Flannery O'Connor in a way, and and um, and so I think I'm like. 75% done with that. He has a novel that came out more recently called Daredevils. Um, that's also on my on my shelf of books to read. So, um, uh, but but certainly something that I would um, I would you know endorse uh, uh, picking up. And again, just as hosts of the Big Tent, we and Idahoans, we only read books about, <laughs> about Idaho, Idaho or by Idahoans, right. which I think is the rule everyone should follow. So I'm, Lori. I'm violating that. I'm reading Bruce Katz's new book, uh, which is called The New Localism. It's very similar to The Metropolitan Revolution, which is his previous book. Um, the, the premise of the book is essentially that the that federal and state governments are broken and that to address sort of contemporary 
housing, transportation, other issues. It's going to be increasingly sort of local problems. And uh, obviously in the Treasure Valley, we're experiencing a massive growth wave and thinking about how sort of you work across jurisdictions to address local problems is something that comes up in the book. And so it is not an Idaho book written by an Idaho author, but it, it certainly has relevance here in the Treasure Valley and something I would recommend to folks take a look at. Well, I mean, super relevant. There was that piece in the Idaho Statesman this week about the rapid growth here in Boise. And then another <clears throat> piece that got some national attention, I think in BuzzFeed, about how uh, Boise is one of the top 10 cities in terms of disparity, uh, salary disparity in the nation. Yeah, the so there were the seventh poor. greatest gap between rich and poor and the fifth greatest gap between what they call, it's a Bloomberg study, but what Bloomberg calls the super rich and the middle class. And so this growing divide in the, in the Boise metro area. And the statesman interpretation was that there's uh, a lot of growth, folks moving in from places like California. Uh, but Canada, a lot Canada, of Canadians. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, but maybe not enough jobs to support um, the, that growing population base. So that um, it will be interesting to see if that has political ramifications moving forward. I also noticed they had something about working women in Idaho. <laughs> they did. There was a piece about how this is one of the most difficult states in the nation for working women in terms of being able to afford daycare, to have uh, equity in terms of wages and uh, quality of life. So, yeah, it's just fascinating, given yeah. the population here and the and the amount of families. Yeah. So, who's going to win and who's going to lose as we move forward? And so it all full, comes full, full circle back to our. Uh, original topic for today's show um that's about all the time we have for this uh episode uh you've been listening to the big tent with jen schneider Corey cook and me justin vaughn uh thanks very much Lori, for joining us um and uh all the best as you continue to do all this great work with new leadership idaho yeah it's an awesome program thank you for letting me talk about it